Now, the, the book of Joshua is the first of the 12 historical books that we have in the Bible, taking us right from Joshua all the way to the, the book of Esther, where we go through you know, the coming into the promised land where we have uh, judges and then the kings established and moves us on into, sadly, the captivity uh, of Israel all into Babylon by the uh, story of Esther and, and such. And so we have these historical books, very important. And this book here in Joshua becomes a really good transition from that of the Pentateuch, which has been all about, you know, really establishing this special nation of Israel. It's been uh, seeing them birthed in, in Egypt and then their deliverance out of Egypt, the giving of their law to keep them uh, special people separated unto God. And then now they're journeying into their own land. Joshua now picks up that narrative as they're ready to move into their new territory, the promised land, the, the land of Canaan, which is eventually going to be called Israel. So this is where the book of Joshua now picks things up. And it's a book that's filled with some very practical lessons for us. The Old Testament, and this is what I, I love about the Old Testament, is the Old Testament is so rich with typology. It's, it's pictures that illuminate a spiritual truth for us today. In fact, you could say that most New Testament principles have an Old Testament picture to it. Most New Testament principles that are teaching some kind of applicable truth to us has an Old Testament picture for us. The Bible is so good, so wonderful. The Lord has kind of laid this all out for us. Now, the book of Joshua is one that's ripe with these kinds of Old Testament types and pictures. It's an exciting time in Israel's history. They're, they're ready to enter in the promised land. Now, some have confused, you know, moving in the promised land as this kind of type or picture of the Christian moving on into their inheritance in heaven. We crossed over the Jordan, and here we are now into the, the glory land of heaven. Past hymns have referred to this time when we pass over the Jordan into what they believe heaven is. Uh, the song, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. Everybody together, swing low. Come on, Andrew, where are you? Sweet chair. Okay, all right, good song. But we have these kinds of ideas of this picture now of Israel coming to the promised land as like our inheritance into heaven. That's not quite the picture here because we're gonna see as we go through the book of Joshua, they're gonna come in the promised land, but guess what? There's still gonna be battles to fight. There's still gonna be enemies to deal with. That's not the scene I see in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. We enter into our rest when we go into heaven. There's no more battles. There's no more fighting. There's no more dealing with the flesh. And so the promised land does provide a wonderful picture for the believer, but it's the picture of walking into the fullness of life that we have in and through Jesus Christ. It's walking into the abundant life, that spirit-filled life. It's life to the full, that life that's dominated by the spirit. And these things are all written for our admonition today. In fact, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. Take your Bibles, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at what Paul writes here, starting in verse one. We're gonna read a few verses. 1 Corinthians 10, verse one. We read there, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware 
that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Verse five of 1 Corinthians 10. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, notice this in verse seven. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. That word example that we see here, examples, is the Greek word tupos. Tupos, where we get that word type or typology. The typology in the Old Testament is so rich when you begin to see the New Testament reality for us. The Old Testament is indeed a fun study to go through. And, and, and the book of Joshua brings some great lessons and, and questions for us are, are we living in that place that God has for us? Are we living in and walking in that fullness of life that God has provided for us? Some good questions to be answered as we go through the book of Joshua. We're gonna see just in this first chapter tonight, uh, broken down into three things here. God's charge to Joshua, verses one to nine. We're gonna see Joshua's charge to Israel to two and a half tribes specifically. That's verses uh, 10 to 15. Then we're gonna see those tribes' response to Joshua, verses 16 to 18. So look at chapter one, verse one. And Joshua is about 85, 90 years old at this time now when we're reading about here in, in chapter one. He's moving up in age. But notice what we read here in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, as I said to Moses. So all these things that we're looking at now happened after the death of Moses. Moses, who's referred to as the servant of the Lord. That's really the, the highest calling that any believer can have, right? Moses is you know, again, seen as this incredible, you know, figure in, in Jewish, um, you know, thinking and, and thought they're just, Moses is the guy, as we talked about on Sunday. And yet here is just the servant of the Lord. That's the highest calling. He's been one that's been uh, faithful in, in serving the Lord. And, and, and get the idea here. This is important when we read about the death of Moses, because Moses uh, really represented what, everybody? The law, right? Represented the law. That's where the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, 
are all about the giving of the law, the establishing of the law, seeing the nation of Israel begin to walk according to the law. So Moses, again, like I said, uh, he's heralded in Jewish sentiment. It's a great lawgiver. He's their guy. But instead of elevating him, they should be feeling like he's put them under quite a constraint. Now, of course, we know that was a God. We're not blaming Moses here, but we understand that the law is heavy. The law was very heavy. Those that are trying to live according to the law are gonna live a life of real heaviness and, and condemnation. It's a legalistic life and it robs you of joy. You can never live up to the demands of the law. So then you might be wondering, well, what, what's the purpose of the law then, Brent? What, why do we have the law? Well, we know that the law was given to reveal sin and ultimately lead us to the only one that can deal with our sin, and that's Jesus Christ. We read in Galatians 3, verse 19 to 25, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, notice this, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. We're no longer kind of confined by the demands of the law is what it's saying. The law was good. In fact, Psalm 19.7 says that the law is perfect converting the soul. Without the law, we don't realize sin. So the law was there to give Israel a boundary and to protect them, preserve them as a nation, but ultimately to lead them to the one who would ultimately save them, and that's Jesus Christ for all of us, right? And so the sad reality is that there are so many Christians today, so many people today that still feel like it's the law that we need to uh, attain to, live up to that. And, and again, not that that's bad, but we have to recognize we can never become righteous through the law. So this is where the picture comes into focus for us. And it's so perfect, just kind of in a bit of this intro to the book of Joshua. Moses here, the great lawgiver, well, he could only lead the nation so far. Do you, do you see this here? They're ready to go in the promised land, but Moses isn't the guy that brings them in. For all that Moses did, and by no means are we dissing on Moses today, but he was only able to take them up to the promised land, but not enter in. The law, you see, can only bring you so far, but it cannot bring you in to the true blessed life that Jesus has for us. Joshua would now be the one that would lead them into the fullness of life and all that God had for them. It's Joshua that's gonna do that. And in the same way, like we said, the law is to lead us to Christ, right? Jesus came to fulfill the law. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, as Galatians 3.19 tells us, or sorry, Galatians 3.13. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And again, it's, it's a curse because it can't, it can't save us. It, it constrains us. That's kind of a good thing, but it's meant to lead us to Jesus. 
And again, this is also fitting as Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Joshua. We talked about this on Sundays. We looked at the name of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Joshua means, Jesus means, Jehovah is salvation. And Joshua's name used to be Hosea, which means simply salvation, but Moses had it changed to Joshua. You see, salvation is good, but a lot of people think that they can attain to salvation themselves, that I can, I can do it, I can save myself. If I'm a good enough person, if I, if I attain to the level of the law, if I just follow the 10 commandments, I can save myself, Hosea. But Joshua reveals to us that we need someone greater, someone than, greater than just the lawgiver, someone greater than just ourselves. We need Jesus. It's, it's, salvation is found in Jehovah. It comes from him and it's through him and not of ourselves. So Hosea is changed to Joshua, which again makes us to see very clearly that salvation is not found in any other means except through Jehovah. And he's provided Jesus to be our great savior and to be the one that leads us in to the abundant life, life in the spirit, a life that cannot be produced by the law or by our own righteousness. It's produced in and through Jesus alone. Now, as Joshua is a picture of Jesus and the work of Jesus, it's interesting as we read here in, in verse um, one that Joshua's birth was actually, seemed to be a bit of a miraculous birth too. It says that he's Joshua, the son of Nun, no parents. So there's a miraculous birth just correlating with Jesus's. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But now I want you to notice something here. Um, the land that's given to them by the Lord. Here's the, the definition of the land that we begin to see. It's God's land. Understand uh, when we, you know, watch the news and we see what's happening in the land of Israel, there's always controversy. There's always this kind of powder keg, it seems ready to erupt there are our people. And of course, media sources want to say that Israel has displaced people from the land, that they don't have a rightful place in the land. But understand something, it's very clear that this is God's land. It's his land and he's given it to the nation of Israel. Nobody has the right to the land except the Lord himself and who the Lord says. And he's promised that land to Israel as an unconditional promise. It's an unconditional promise. That's why we call it the promised land. Now notice what we read in verse three. It says there in verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you as I said to Moses. So this is a place that the Lord has already given them. That's in the past tense. Every place that your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you, not I will see what I can work out here. I'll, I'll, I'll see how, you know, the best I can do. I'm not, I'm not sure how much we're gonna be able to do, but no, it's, I've given it to you. It's a done deal is what the Lord is saying. It's yours, guys. He doesn't need to come up with a way to make it happen. It's theirs, but here's what they need to do. They need to rise up and possess it. They need to rise up and possess it. They need to walk in and lay claim to all that God has already given them. That's a very big key here. Because I wonder how many Christians have lived a life where 
They have wonderful promises given to them in the Lord, but have failed to possess them. Perhaps they've struggled over the assurance of salvation. It felt like their, their stumbles, their mistakes have disqualified them from living as a child of God. Maybe they've lived a, a defeated life and failed to realize that we're more than conquerors in and through Christ. We have great and glorious promises provided for us as children of God, but we need to possess them by faith as Joshua and all of Israel is being instructed to do. I've given it to you, it's yours, but are you walking in it? Are you laying claim to it? Are you receiving that and appropriating that for yourself? So what did Israel first need to do? Well, they need to go over this Jordan. Go over this Jordan, they're told to do. Now, Moses led them through the Red Sea crossing. That spoke of Israel's new birth. It's a picture of our new life in Christ and our baptism in water proclaiming that new life in him, whereas the crossing of the Jordan now speaks of a second baptism. For the believer, we come to Christ, we're, we're in Christ now by faith, we're baptized as a public declaration, but then there comes a subsequent baptism for the believer. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit where we are filled and overflowing in the Spirit, walking that abundant life that Jesus has for us. We as believers need to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit. We leak, guys. We get bumped and things pour out. That's a good thing sometimes because we want to reveal Jesus, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5, uh, 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with with the Spirit, and it says to be continually, in the Greek, to be continually filled. It's not a, a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing that we need. And so this picture here, Joshua and Israel about to cross through the Jordan, it's that picture of, hey, this abundant life that God has for you, it's gonna come through the Holy Spirit filling and overflowing you. And we need to be baptized in the Spirit on an ongoing basis. And these promises, I believe, extend far beyond what we're willing to even imagine. I love what Ephesians 3, 20 says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So God wants to give, I think, way more than we even imagine. And it's that way with the land of Israel. Look at what we read in verse four. He says, regarding the land I'm giving you, he says, it's from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So the borders of the promised land were very expansive. And yet the nation of Israel never completely reached the full potential of what God had given them what God had said, I'm giving you, it's, it's, I've given it to you already. But Israel never fully claimed the fullness of all that God was giving them. Now in David's reign and into Solomon's reign, they got very close to that. But by and large, the history of Israel was a history of not really claiming all that God had already given them. In fact, it, it, it's kind of like, I'll put up a map here. We don't know for sure. Like, you know, there's 
um, debates over what that land was. Now we get an idea when it says that it's from the wilderness. And so the wilderness here uh, would be moving, you know, far out into, let's see here, this area around here. And then it mentions up to Lebanon, which is going to be up here to the north. Um, the Great River, many believe, is speaking of uh, the Nile. So it's moving down into Egypt. But then all the way up to uh, the River Euphrates, going all along uh, this road here. So many people believe that the land of Israel that God was giving them really encompassed that amount of territory. And yet the nation of Israel is like seen right here, right? It's just a small little amount. Perhaps this is, you know, a promise that's going to be fulfilled in a future date. We know in the millennial reign of Christ, this whole world is gonna be uh, changed and perhaps that's gonna be the, the borders there at that time. But this was also promised um, to, to Abraham as well in Genesis 15, 8, saying on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so we see, again, that boundary being far greater than what Israel really encompassed. Now, just as God promised Moses that he would be with him, God now promises that same thing to Joshua, that he'd be with them. What wonderful words that would be, what we read there at the end of verse five, I will not leave you nor forsake you. What great words that would be to a man like Joshua, who's kind of taking the mantle now from Moses, ready to lead the people in Israel, I'm sure, with knees shaken and, and just doubts filling his mind. Here's the Lord now reminding him, listen, I'm gonna be with you. See, when God calls you into service, you can be assured of the promise of his presence. And we've seen it time and time again in God's word. For Moses, God comforted him by saying, I'm gonna certainly be with you, Exodus 3.12. To Gideon, who's hiding out, you know, in the wine press, not wanting to deal with what was going on. God said, surely I'll be with you, Judges 6, 16. With Jeremiah, God reassured him saying, for I'm with you to deliver you, Jeremiah 1, 8. But these aren't just promises for these Old Testament stalwarts. No, they're promises for us. Hebrews 13, verse five and six says that he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So the same promise is given to us now in the New Testament that he will be with us, never to leave us nor forsake us. Do we live with boldness in those promises? Do we allow this truth to ring in our minds but kind of fail to be put into practice? Do we know it up here but fail to live it out in our lives? Recognizing that the Lord's with me. What do I have to worry about? Jesus assured us, assured us of that in Matthew 28, verse 20, saying, and lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Isn't that great? I'm with you always. When? Certain months? No, always. When you're doing good? No, I'm with you always. Right to the very end of the age when we'll be together face to face. See, we have the promise of his presence. As we saw on Sunday in Matthew, he is Emmanuel, God with us. What a beautiful reminder. What more could we need or want when we have Emmanuel, the very God, in and through Jesus Christ with us, the Spirit filling us and leading us. 
We have the promise of his presence. Joshua is told that also nobody is gonna be able to stand before him. Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's the equivalent of Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, we know that there's lots of things and people that can be against us, that will be against us. We know the reality that, you know, for Joshua, it does not deny the reality of opposition. There's gonna be battles for him to fight, people overcome, but God is saying that I'm gonna be with you and nobody is gonna be able to overtake you. See, with God on our side, there's really nothing to fear. And yet it seems that Joshua maybe is still dealing with a little bit of anxiety here. So notice what we read in verse six. Continuing on, verse six says this. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Now Joshua's gonna be told three times in these first nine verses of Joshua 1. Three times he's gonna be told, be strong and a good courage. Who do you need to tell to be strong? Somebody that's not very strong. Who do you need to tell to be courageous? Somebody that is shaking in their boots. They're worried, they're fearful. Three times the reminder goes out, Joshua, be strong and a good courage. Because Joshua, perhaps, evidently, was not quite feeling that way. And he can't fault Joshua for this, right? I mean, he's been with Moses. He's seen what it's like to lead this people. I'm not sure if Joshua was worried about the enemies on the other side of the Jordan as much as he was worried about the people with him on this side of the Jordan. Maybe he just needs strength to just deal with them, let alone, he's probably going, Lord, just send me into Jordan already, all right? Or send me into the land of Canaan already. Just get me away from these people. I'll go solo mission if you need here. Moses was a guy that had to go through complaining, grumbling, people accusing him, disobedience. The Israelites haven't been much of a picnic, but Joshua is being called to lead them to a new land and to face the challenges before them. And that's something that Joshua cannot accomplish on his own ability. He can't do this on his own. No, the, the success is gonna come because God is with him. We're not called to be bold and strong in ourselves, guys. God's not looking for you to be strong in yourself. He's reminding Joshua to be strong and courageous because the Lord is with them. And as we've already seen, it's the same promise for each and every one of us. If you're here tonight and you're fearful, you're dealing with anxiety over maybe a particular situation that's coming up in your life, certain circumstances you're going through, you need to remind yourself that God is with you and he's never gonna leave you nor forsake you. And you can be strong and courageous, not because you got it in yourself, but because God is with you. His Holy Spirit is dwelling in you to lead you and strengthen you and empower you through. Remember Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Never is it directing you to be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
So Joshua is further told to observe all that is written in the law. This was, you know, their word of God at this time. Even if Joshua didn't feel the presence of the Lord, he just needed to believe what the word of God has already told him. So often we're led by our feelings, aren't we, rather than truth. We allow our feelings to begin to well up and to begin to control how we think and what we do. Too many times our feelings deceive us and they lead us into fear. But when we stand upon the word of God and in faith, believe what he's already said, guess what? We can be strong and courageous. Knowing that God, you've already told me this is the reality. This is the truth. My feelings aren't the truth. This is the truth. And I can stand upon that, Lord, and be led of you and believe what you've already told me. Moses had already given this word to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, verse seven to eight, saying this, that Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and a good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. See, the word has already been given and now Joshua simply needs to believe it and obey it. And it's in simply following the word of God that we indeed truly prosper. And God is gracious to remind him of this truth here now once more. Several times we'll see here in Joshua chapter one. And if Joshua just observes and obeys what God has already said, then whatever he does and wherever he goes, he's gonna prosper. That's the, the promise that's being given to him there at the end of verse seven. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. God just wants Joshua to say, uphold my word, live it out, follow it. Let it guide you. And, and, and you're gonna prosper. See, the word of God is indeed that lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Psalm 119.105 says, it's given to us to be our guide and to ensure that we walk in the things of God. That's what brings about blessing in our lives, isn't it, my friends? Walking in obedience to the things of God, to the word of God. Now, along with this, Joshua's told in verse eight, like in verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Again, the key to success was not just in the Lord being with Joshua, but it was in Joshua being with the Lord. Catch that. Success came not just by the Lord being with Joshua, but by Joshua being with the Lord. And one way to be abiding in the Lord is to be in the word of God. That ensures our success and prosperity. This ensures we're walking in close union with him and we can't help but to produce fruit as we do that. So Joshua is told, hey, the book of the law, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Let this so saturate you. Because as you allow this word to saturate you, it's not just some writing on a scroll or papyrus as they had it. It's the very living word of God. You are 
You are drawing in close communion to God as you allow the word of God to saturate you. And biblical meditation, compared to what we hear today about meditation, two very different things. Let's just get that straight, okay? We sometimes, we hear this and go, oh, meditate, that seems so weird. But meditation, as is often practiced today, has its roots in Eastern religion and, and, and the New Age, of course. And, and meditation today is about, you know, emptying your mind. But biblical meditation is about filling your mind. And it's filling your mind with what is good and true. It's the Word of God. The idea of, of meditating on the Word of God is kind of like the concept of a cow chewing the cud, all right? You ingest some of that, you take it in, and you're chewing on it, you're like, oh, that's good. And you kind of maybe digest that a bit, but then you're like, you know what? I want to I wanna keep enjoying that a little bit. And the cow just like, you know, regurgitates it up and starts to chew on that a little bit, all right? Get some talk about after dinner, right? And he just like, you know, brings it up and starts to chew on that again. And it, and it just extracts even more nutrients from that which he's already taken in. And when we meditate on the word of God day and night, that's why our, our quiet time is so important in the beginning of the day to get in the word of God, journal. And then throughout the day, you're just meditating on that. You just continue to allow the Lord to speak to you through that word that you've been in. You, you just continue to regurgitate that and, and extract all the goodness out of that throughout the day. That's the, the kind of concept of biblical meditation. So Josh is told, don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Let it just saturate you and let it lead you. Because again, when we're continually thinking on God's word, guess what's gonna happen? We're gonna be active on, in it, observing it, following it. And as God says, that's gonna be the key to good success. It reminds me of what we read in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Notice what that produces. Because he shall be then like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's exactly what God is telling Joshua. This is what's gonna lead to your prosperity. And when we talk about prosperity, don't get the wrong idea here, my friends. Stick with me. We're not talking about the prosperity gospel as has been so twisted around in evangelicalism today where people believe that God just wants to bless you and make you wealthy and healthy and they promote this prosperity gospel. That's not what we talk about when we talk about prosperity. Prosperity, biblically, is just, again, walking in that fullness of God as you abide in him, you're gonna prosper. That's gonna be the rich life, my friends. Are you delighting in the word of God? Does the word hold that sort of value in your life where it's just your, your sustenance, your stability, your strength? Joshua would come to know that it's through following God's word that he will indeed prosper and remain close to God. That's what true success looks like. Again, this, the, the world has a, a skewed definition of what success is. Don't get caught up in trying to keep up with how the world defines success. Follow God's word. Stay close to him. Do what he's called you to do. That is being successful carrying out what God has called you to do. That's what success is all about in the economy of God. It goes on to say in verse nine, 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and a good courage. There it is again. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You get the idea that Joshua needed to hear this. Right? I mean, verse six, Joshua's probably going, well, Lord, yeah, I don't know about that. Strong and courageous. Again, you know, he's, he, he hears it again in verse seven. Uh, now in verse nine, it's like, okay, God, I get it. All right. And God is just merciful in our fears and worries. He just keeps coming and reminding Joshua of this reality and truth. And though God is merciful in our fears and worries, we don't need to remain there, do we? God's not giving an option to Joshua. What God is saying is, be strong. It's an, it's an imperative. It's a command he's giving to Joshua. And he can be strong because of God's presence with him. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth, often quoting Carl Wilson Baker, defined courage as fear that has said its prayers. It's fear that has said its prayers. We don't need to fake courage and valor, we can confess our fear and find strength to move to faith because we know God will never leave us nor forsake us. And how we need to recognize the greatness of our God and that he's with us. And because of that truth, we can be strong and we can be courageous. Even when we don't feel like it, act in faith. Act in faith in a great God who upholds us, sustains us, and leads us through by his strength and not our own. So this is God's charge to Joshua. It's a good charge. There's a lot of things that we need to apply to our lives in that. But then we look at now in verse 10, Joshua's charge to Israel. It says in verse 10, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So the, the charge to Joshua seems to have settled in as he now steps up and he says to the people, hey, you will cross over the Jordan. Do you see that there? I love that. He says it in, in, in verse uh, 11 there, you will cross over this Jordan. Jo Joshua's not being hesitant in this. He's not saying, okay, guys, let's just give it our best college try here. I don't know how this is all gonna pan out, but let's, let's just give it a go and see what happens here, all right? Let's stick together. He's not just kind of throwing out there loosely. He's acting in boldness and courage saying, you will. You will cross over the Jordan. He's being strong and courageous and he's setting the tone as a leader who's putting his faith in a big God. This will happen, guys. This is gonna happen, not because I'm great, but because he's great and because he's called us to do this. And with God's calling, is his enabling, he's gonna lead us through. Now, for those of you that have been to Israel, how many people have been to Israel before? All right. You look at a verse like this and you're kind of thinking of this scenario and going, crossing the Jordan? This is no big deal. You got ditches bigger than the Jordan in my neck of the woods here. And it's true, you go to Israel today and there are parts of the Jordan where you just go, I could just like jump over this thing basically. What do you mean having to fear about crossing? Well, 
Now, in this day, the Jordan River looked much different when there wasn't the, the depletion of, uh, of water resources and such as we see today. And so the water levels would have been much greater and the flow of that river would have been uh, pretty significant. Crossing it would have been a challenge. That's why we'll read the, the miraculous parting of the waters when we get to chapter three. Now, once again, the Lord has given them this land, but what do they need to do? They need to go in and possess it. It's theirs, but they're not gonna enjoy it unless they move in faith and step into what God's already given them. Sadly, some chose to not be all in in the things of God. Look at verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 32, gives us the account of these two and a half tribes that decided to stay on the east side of the Jordan and not enter into the promised land. This isn't just where they're at temporarily right now as all of Israel's on the east side of the Jordan. No, this is where they've decided to settle and take their allotment of land. And it's a sad scenario because they're right at the border, ready to inherit all of God's goodness, but they decide they're gonna be better off where they're at and not moving in to where God has called them to. See, God had so much for them, so much goodness as he does for us too. But these tribes became content and satisfied in the place that they were and they missed out on the great rewards of walking in the fullness of what God had for them. See, too often Christians today are living an incomplete life because they have stopped moving forward. They're not progressing any longer in their pursuit of God. They, they become borderline believers. Where again, God is saying, I've got so much for you, but you need to walk in and take it. You need to come in and appropriate that for yourselves. But too often people just want to settle down where they're at and get complacent, content. See, God will never take you further than you want to go. See, we need to press on passionately, pursuing God with all that we are, lest we end up defeated as these two now tribes were. Because staying now on the east side of the Jordan, when the Assyrians would come in and invade them, guess the path they took? Right where the Tunab tribes were. They were the first to get taken out by the Assyrians. See, too often we isolate, we stay back from what God has for us and we become easy pickings for the enemy. When God says, no, come in. Come in and, and there you will find that safety and protection. God won't take you further than you want to go, but 
May we not stop short, guys. May we not come right up and go, I'm good. May we say, Lord, what else do you have for me? I wanna continue to pursue you with all that I am to see all that you are, God. I want more of you. I don't wanna settle. I don't wanna be content. I wanna keep moving forward. The Apostle Paul was a man that modeled this. If anybody could say, I'm good. I'm good. I, I feel like I've kind of accomplished all I can. If anybody could say that, it'd be the Apostle Paul. But notice what he writes in Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the attitude that we need to have, my friends, saying, man, I wanna keep pressing on. I have not attained to everything yet. There is more that I want of the Lord. I wanna keep pursuing him. I wanna keep pressing on. That's the blessed life, my friends. Don't settle and don't become content with where you're where you are at. Realize there's more. I wanna keep pressing in and moving on. Now, I wanna be careful because although these two and a half tribes are in a territory that's included in the much larger boundaries of Israel, as we've already seen in our message today with the map that we put up. The narrative at times in, in Joshua and, and throughout the Pentateuch seems to place the two and one half tribes outside of the promised land. We'll look at chapter 22 of Joshua when we get to it and kind of uh, identify that a little bit. So it seems to be that they indeed came up short from all that God really had for them. Now, getting back to Joshua, in case Joshua's still having worries about maybe, maybe doubting the word of the Lord, God in his grace now has other people stand up to voice their approval of Joshua and thus confirm the word of the Lord. Here we see that third section of this chapter, Israel's response now to Joshua. Look at what we read in verse 16. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do, and whatever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and a good courage. Here's the people of Israel, again, reminding Joshua. And, and encouraging Joshua, we're, we're with you. They confirm that they're ready and willing to go at Joshua's command. Now they certainly have some sudden memory because they say, listen, we're gonna do all that you can us do just as we've done all that Moses commanded us to do. <laughs> really? It hasn't been that long and yet forgetting here, you guys were a real pill. Man, you guys constantly challenged him. But at least they're seeing the necessity to have a leader that's following God and being sure that God's presence is going with them. That's why they say it in verse 17, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. That's what they want. That's the criteria. Hey, listen, we're gonna be with you. We're gonna follow you, Joshua, only let it be the Lord that's leading you. That's the criteria for every leader that we wanna get behind is, is the Lord leading you? Are you following the Lord? Again, we can be strong and courageous when we know 
that God is going before us. When we have that promise of his presence. So here we see Joshua rising up now to be the successor to Moses. We've seen Joshua in a number of different roles already through God's word. We've seen Joshua the, sol the soldier. Exodus 17 tells about the battle of Amalek and it says in verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And then we've seen Joshua the servant. It says in Exodus 24, 13, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. We've seen Joshua the spy. Numbers 13, 1 to 8 lists all the people that were sent in and you see at the bottom there in verse 8 uh, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. That's Joshua. He's one of the spies. Remember, only he and Caleb of the 12 spies that were sent in came back with a good report. Joshua was a man that was being built up as a man of faith. And now we see Joshua in this new role, and that's Joshua the successor, as we see in verse 17 with the, the people of Israel saying, yes, we're ready to follow you now. See, when we're faithful in a few things, God's gonna begin to use us in greater things and give us greater responsibility. Matthew 25, 23 reminds us of that where it says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Listen, it is a real joy to serve the Lord and be used of him. And though we might at times feel insufficient, maybe fearful, remember, God is with us. We have the promise of his presence. So be strong and be courageous. It's not of yourself. It's in the Lord. Walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't, don't settle with where you're at. Walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Walk by faith. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Worship team, would you come? We're gonna close with a song here tonight and Lord we're grateful to be here in the book of Joshua and here in this first chapter to just have so many good applications to take to heart here tonight and I pray for us here as we listen to this that Lord we take time just to respond and that God you would begin right now to to speak in people's hearts, maybe areas that have been convicting tonight that maybe there are those here that have recognized fear and a feeling of inadequacy that's held them back. I pray tonight that, Lord, they would see the greatness of our God and that you're with us. Never leave us nor forsake us. God, that we can be strong and courageous. I pray that, Lord, we would be those that are truly inheriting the promises of God, walking in to all that you have for us and not settling, not coming up short. God, may we be people that are spirit-filled and walking in the abundant life that you have for us. Let us be meditating upon your word abiding in your word, Lord, that we might be walking in full obedience and enjoying prosperity and success as we do. So lead us in these things, we pray. Help us. Thank you, God, that you're a good God.
and that you're with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.